Hi, guys, and welcome to the Healthified Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McLaughlin, holistic health coach, writer, and wellness entrepreneur who has, for over 15 years, delved deeply into my passions of nutrition and health. Before we get started, this episode of Healthified is brought to you by Gratified, a natural foods company I launched in order to make a more impactful change in the packaged food space. We offer gluten-free, primarily grain-free, dairy-free granola, nutrition bars, and baking mixes. Everything has been created with real food nutrition, blood sugar balance, and metabolic science in mind. For a discount off of any Gratified product, visit gratified.com and use the promo code HEALTHIFIED at checkout. Also, if you're enjoying listening to this podcast, I would be so grateful if you could scroll down and submit a rating or review. Five stars is awesome and very much appreciated, but of course, honest feedback is also welcome. Welcome to another solo episode, and it is one in which I'm probably going to be the most vulnerable I've ever been. Um, If you know me or you've been listening to the podcast, you know that I really have no issue with vulnerability. I consider myself an open book, but this topic, this is a tough one for me. And the one that I resisted putting out there for so many reasons, I'm going to get into my relationship with alcohol, what I'm doing to work on it, and kind of what I have learned over the years and where I stand with it all now. And this is the area of my life I probably have the most shame around. And shame, um, it's a really tough emotion. And it's really only been in adulthood that I've realized the intensity of this emotion and the effects that it can have. But what I've discovered for myself is that shame is something that is often self-imposed. So, I mean, yes, there can be those choices and behaviors that could be categorized as shameful. But in most cases, from my experience, it is my own thoughts and perceptions that label something as shameful. So hopefully you'll be able to understand more of what I'm saying by the end of this episode. So that all being said, when it comes to my relationship with alcohol, it is an area in which I have felt very alone at times. So if this episode helps just one person feel less alone in their relationship with alcohol, then my job here is done. And on the flip side of that, if me talking about drinking and alcohol is triggering for you in any way, you might want to skip this episode. And before I go on, I also want to put this disclaimer out there and say, in no way, shape, or form am I categorizing alcohol or drinking as healthified. I'm not promoting it in any way whatsoever. I think Everyone's relationship with alcohol, just like with food, is completely unique and individual to them. And for some people, the most healthified way to approach alcohol is abstinence. For others, they might have a good handle on moderation. You know, you do you when it comes to alcohol. I just wanted to share my story in case it resonates with anyone or impacts anyone in a positive way, whatever effect that may be. And on that note, I think healthified in and of itself applies that we are all works in progress, right? And there's always something in our lives that we can do, tweak, change, improve upon to become healthier versions of ourselves. And this is one of those things for me. So, oh gosh, where to begin? Um, I will start with some context. So at the time of this episode's recording, I'm 38 years old and I had my first drink at the age of 13, I think maybe 14. I would have been in about the seventh grade, which saying that out loud, it's like so young. Um, But I remember it so well. I was having my two best friends over to spend the night and my parents were either out or they were already asleep. And my brother, who is five years older than me, so he would have been 18 or 19 and either a senior in high school or already in college. And he was home and he had a group of friends staying with us as well. 
And they were all in my basement drinking and being curious and wanting to be cool. We ventured downstairs to see what they were up to. And one thing led to another and I had my first beer. And I can't even remember if it was a full beer or if the three of us literally shared one. But I do remember a switch flipped that night. So whether it was like a mental switch, a physical switch or a combination of the two, I'm not really sure. But from then on, I think I thought of drinking alcohol as something that would enhance the fun of the situation. So that was implanted belief and story number one from a very early age. And then before that night, I couldn't really tell you my exact opinions about alcohol, maybe just because I don't really remember it. But I will be very honest and say I grew up with parents who drank a lot and they would go out to parties with friends. Yes, but it was also at home and their moods and temperament would shift. And I knew that I didn't really like that. So that environment manifested into some pretty bad anxiety throughout high school. But at a young age, all I remember feeling is that I liked my parents better during the day than at night. And I have this vivid memory of a Thanksgiving, probably before I was like 10. And I poured out my mom's glass of wine down the sink because I didn't want her to have any more. And, you know, that was just kind of something I did as a kid. And I can kind of think back on it now that memory just sticks out of me, but just kind of goes to show maybe how I would have perceived it even when I was really young. So fast forward through the rest of middle school and alcohol only made its appearance very occasionally. Like it would be a situation when maybe we would take drinks from the parents' liquor cabinets every once in a while, but it definitely wasn't like an every weekend kind of thing. I don't think Um, high school was definitely where things accelerated. And funny enough, I would almost describe this as a typical high school experience. And I lived for the social scene of high school like parties on the weekend, driving around with older classmen and drinking on the golf course, sneaking out and meeting up with friends in the neighborhood. And I mean, I was pretty wild. So, um, you know, and I was also in a very unique position because my parents were a lot older and they were kind of checked out. Like I was my dad's fifth kid and I lived 45 minutes away from Richmond where I went to high school. So I was always spending the night at friends' houses, and not to say that's an excuse, and to me now that kind of sounds disrespectful, but we were all in this behavior together. So sophomore year of high school was the first time I got in trouble with the police for underage drinking, and while I was terrified at the time, I'm going to tell the story because it's kind of funny, and why not just put in a little humor, but it's just kind of funny how stupid I was back then. Like we were at this big house party and it was kind of more out in the country and there was just so many people and there weren't a lot of other houses around. But what got us was that people parked their cars along the main road and on the wrong side of the road. So it was like this big signal to any police officer that drove by that kids were up to no good. So when the first person yelled cops at this party, like a lot of people ran into the woods and I would probably say that was the smartest thing to do. No, no. Like me and a couple of friends decided to run upstairs and lock ourselves in a bathroom. And not only that, we were convinced that the cops couldn't come in without a warrant or whatnot. And so we continued to drink upstairs in this bathroom until we were ushered outside. And I think back now and I'm like, if I just didn't have anything to drink in that bathroom, I probably would have passed the breathalyzer. But I failed it. um, And I ended up having to serve 25 hours of community service and I was on probation for a year. It's not on my record, though. So there's that. But it just that experience didn't stop me from partying for the rest of high school because I did. And 
I think that, yeah, I was having a lot of fun, but I was also pretty much a straight A student and I was a very, very hard worker. I was engaged in extracurriculars and I played sports and I'm not saying all this to toot my own horn, but rather like offer perspective and confess that I was also a type A perfectionist who put a lot of pressure on myself. So at the time, drinking on the weekends and going out with my friends was a very welcome outlet and it allowed me to let loose a lot. Um, And that's kind of been this underlying theme throughout my life. And I am just now like over 20 years later, having to unlearn a lot of those beliefs I have around working and achievement and self-worth. So my junior year in high school, I got caught with beer in my car at a school dance, and I had to go in front of the honor committee, serve six weeks of Friday night detention. I was put on probation for the rest of high school. Like it was this whole thing. And you might think that this experience would maybe knock some sense into me, that maybe this behavior wasn't serving me anymore, Um, but I was also getting good grades. I even won cum laude award for being top in my class. Like I got into my first college of choice and the parting behavior was just so normalized. And back then, the thought didn't even cross my mind that I should change my ways. I mean, the fact that I was put in Friday night detention for six weeks kind of forced me to, but it's just what everyone was doing. And I just had my eye on finishing high school and getting out of Richmond, and I couldn't wait to go to college that I could have more autonomy and freedom. But college, as it tends to be the case, is where drinking and partying reached a whole other level. Instead of just Friday and Saturday nights, like in high school, it was Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at least. And it wasn't only cans of Bud Light either. There was liquor and kegs. And throw in the fact that I'm in a new place with practical strangers trying to make friends with a lot of social anxiety. And let's just say there were a lot of instances of overdrinking. And I remember this one morning, it was the day after Halloween, my parents actually had to come to Charlottesville to pick me up and take me home because I was so hungover and upset, like anxiety through the roof. I think that is my first experience with anxiety like that. And it wasn't just the drinking in and of itself. Like I was making bad decisions and I was likely making a fool of myself more often than not, but whatever, it was college and I kept trucking. Um, And I think college marks the time in my life when I felt very lost. So of course, I was probably using the social scene and drinking to cope with that too. It was my senior year of college where things kind of took an ugly turn, especially for my mental health. Like it was like over drinking combined with disordered eating. That was not a good mix. Um, I would restrict and over exercise through the week, drink too much and binge eat on the weekends. And then I would do it all again. And I would feel so much shame and regret every day. Wondering why I didn't have the willpower to control myself has nothing to do with willpower. Um, I was just so deeply caught in a cycle and it was very hard to break. I did break it, thank goodness, and nothing feels more liberating. And I won't get into that too much here. I did touch on it briefly in episode 72, and I talk more about it in my Counting Colors course and my upcoming book. But after college, things moderated a bit. Um, My drinking moderated. I enrolled in grad school and I was working to get my master's in education. I felt like I had landed on more solid ground and I had a path and a purpose and I was able to turn my attention towards school and a future career. And that's not to say that my issues around food and drinking just went away. Like the cycle was definitely still there. It was just a bit more muted, but at least I had this anchor to reground me when I hadn't had that before. And I was able to bring my eyes back to the prize, so to speak. And in my early 20s, 
my relationship with alcohol was still never really anything I questioned, sad, sadly enough. Like what I questioned was my inability to be a quote unquote normal drinker, have willpower and get my shit together. And there's just so much that I wish I could go back and tell my 22 year old self because none of that was true um, or the case. So it wasn't until my mid 20s, so like 25, 26, that my drinking and unhappiness with myself got to a place where I felt like I needed therapy. And my therapist at the time helped me so much in our work together. I experimented with not drinking for the first time. And there was this one stint without alcohol that was probably a few months long. And the feeling of waking up without shame or guilt about anything was the best feeling in the world. Like I wasn't binge eating. I wasn't doing stupid shit or saying stupid things or making mistakes that I would later regret. But I will say that the social aspect of that time was really hard. Um, I think that if that was like I was doing this at 25, 26 today, like, you know, I say this, but like it just feels like it would be a lot easier because the conversation around reduced alcohol and sober curiosity and mocktails and alcohol-free wine and all that is just a lot more normal. But back then, you know, that wasn't the case and everyone was still drinking and I felt like I was just white knuckling these social situations. And I remember this one day in particular, it was spring or summer and we had driven to the river for the day. And in Richmond, we have the river, which is like an hour and a half away. And we were at my friend's house and people were picking crabs and drinking beer and riding the boat and just having this like great time. And I was not drinking. And I just remember feeling so alone. Like I was surrounded by all of these people, like all of my closest friends, but I just felt so alone. And that was such a bad feeling. And like, I was just, I just felt like I was different somehow because I couldn't control my drinking or again, be a quote unquote normal drinker. And I will tell you right now, I know that to be a normal drinker doesn't really exist. Like, I do think that there are people out there who can have a neutral relationship with it or what I would even say, like a healthy relationship. And definitely a lot of people come to mind Um, or they can just have one or two and be fine with that or just even go without and not care. But I do think that those people are unicorns. Do I think that I could ever be one of those people? I don't know. We'll see. More on that in a bit. Through therapy at that time, though, I did learn so many healthy tools and have created this foundation for how I can feel without it, which is huge. And I do end up drinking alcohol again. And I also ended up getting on some medication for anxiety, which really helped. Um, So I was in a really good place. And I also got a new job away from the toxic environment of my corporate banking job. And I started my first healthy living blog, which, and I just felt more aligned. And so the dust settles. Um, and that isn't to say that I don't still have my nights because I do, but they just don't feel as heavy, if that makes sense. So let's fast forward to when I am 28. So like 10 years ago, I meet my now husband and don't worry, I'm not going to take you like step-by-step through the next 10 years, but I just, this is a significant moment because I meet my now husband and I will fully admit that that relationship, this current relationship, has been the biggest game changer in my health and happiness. Like, it's not perfect. No relationship is. But he really helped center me. And I'd never really had a healthy relationship before. And I was also going through some stuff with my own family. And, like, his normal, happy, loving family opened their arms for me. And I just felt healthy and happy. So right there, that had a positive influence on my behavior and choices. And there was still alcohol. I mean, it kind of even felt inevitable in this new relationship. Like we were going out, we were eating out, whining and dining, but it just felt fun and celebratory. 
Um, and I did reach a point a few months in, I remember this so well, where I was like, okay, slow the roll. I need to get back into a routine, eat clean, cut back on the drinking and just feel better. Um, but again, the idea of I'm never drinking again was never there. It was more like, let's try to clean it up on school nights and reserve the party for the weekend. There was this time about three months into our relationship when he went traveling abroad with his dad for a few weeks. And of course, I was sad to see him leave, but I remember thinking to myself like, okay, while he's gone, I am going to buckle down. I am not going to drink. I'm going to eat clean, exercise, get good sleep, et cetera, et cetera. And it was like this stark contrast to how we had been operating for the prior months. But this is just how my brain worked at the time. Like it was just like all or nothing, black or white kind of thinking. And Unfortunately, when I get in that mindset, like I can really self-isolate, like I've become a lot less social. Um, I'm not that girl who would want to go out and not want a cocktail. Like I just wasn't. I would have rather hung out at home in my PJs with my dog and gone to bed at like 9 p.m. so that I could like wake up feeling refreshed and just have a whole day. Um, And, you know, I'm still that girl, actually less so now, like I can actually go out and not drink. Um, But back then... And I still have this tendency to think this way today, like staying home was safer because ultimately I didn't trust myself and I had lost a lot of self-trust along the way just based on my behavior. And every day, I mean, to this day, I still have to work on rebuilding self-trust. So anywho, Alex goes away. He comes back. We move in together, get engaged, move houses, get married, start a business. It's 2015. I'm 30. It was a big time. We're deep in the wedding circuit. We're very social. Of course, I'm drinking, but we're still happy. So I'm just not thinking too much about it. And then in the summer of 2017, we leave Richmond and we go backpack around Europe for two and a half months. And I talk about this a lot. You've probably heard me talk about it. It was a really impactful experience. But how it relates to drinking, though, is that it really shifted my stories around it. If I'm being honest, like a lot of my negative perceptions before this point about alcohol had to do with my body and the realm of the physical and kind of the way that I looked, if I'm being honest. Like I would wake up and I would look puffy and feel bloated or I would binge eat and eat eat something I normally wouldn't and I would beat myself up for that or it would handicap me from eating well and exercising the next day and just like round and round the negative thinking went. Um, And clearly that negatively impacted my relationship with it. So it also just kept me in that cycle mentality, that restrict and overconsume, all or nothing, black and white thinking. But in Europe, I drink almost every day. And there were maybe like three drinks out of the 75, or no, three nights out of the 75 days that I didn't drink. And it was so much more moderate, though, like a glass of wine with dinner or a beer in the afternoon. Like I never really got drunk over there. And I wasn't experiencing those debilitating hangovers. Like there was just more balance to it. It was just part of the experience. And again, not to say that it is about the physical, but I lost a lot of weight over there. Like this inflammation just melted off of me. And all the while, like I was actually releasing those rules and restrictions that I had put on myself and that what I thought were keeping me safe. And I basically, that experience proved that all wrong for me. So we get back from Europe and Despite having practice balance and moderation, I and my liver need a break. So I stopped drinking for about three months. And I'll tell you, I felt amazing. Like I've even gone back and read some of the old journal entries from that time. And I literally wrote down like, I should stay alcohol free. 
Anywho, I don't. Um, there's being a human for you, but my relationship to it has shifted, which is an important point. And I guess there's just more balance with it than I've had in the past. So now it's the holiday season, 2017, about to be 2018. Towards the end of December, my dad has a bad fall and has to go into the hospital. And he's in there over Christmas. And I'm just kind of like thinking back, like we have this wedding over New Year's. Um, and the reason why I'm kind of even saying that is because I can't even remember if I had anything to drink at the wedding. I may have had like one glass, but I remember, you know, after that wedding, my dad passes away about five days later. And why this is relevant is because it was after that that I didn't drink for about two and a half months, um, even like while he was in the hospital. And what triggered this stint was my dad getting worse in the hospital and then his passing. So full disclosure, his death was partly attributed to alcohol-related causes, and it's kind of complicated, so I won't go down that road. But that was just a big part of the reason why I wanted to take a major break from it at the time. Like It just was something so unattractive to me. Um, and a couple of days after he passed away, I remember looking at my husband and saying out loud, like, I really want a glass of wine, but I am not going to have it. And I just remember realizing that drinking wasn't going to solve anything. I think I wanted to give myself permission to feel everything I was feeling. And alcohol is just a mask in a situation like this. And it's not a very pretty one. And I couldn't even fathom the slightest hangover on top of grief. So I felt it all and I felt it all sober. And I think back on that time and I'm so glad I did. And I'm so grateful that I had the awareness to do that. Um, so while it did eventually make a reappearance in my life, for the next couple of years, I pretty much reserved alcohol for the weekend. I wouldn't really have it if we were just hanging out at home. Like maybe if we went out to a restaurant for dinner during the week, or if we had like a cocktail party on a Thursday evening, like I would probably have a couple of drinks during the week. But for the most part, any alcohol consumption happened on the weekends. Like this was a time where I was build, busy building my health coaching practice. And later I was writing my cookbook and then building gratified and all of that. So I felt very energized by my work. I never really felt like I needed a drink at the end of the day. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't one of those people to like come home and was like, I need a glass of wine. I can't really say the same now, but again, I'll get into it a little later. So then the pandemic hit and we had to quarantine. And I probably don't need to explain much about this because I know a lot of people can relate. The drinking obviously increased. Um, I was just, I was so stressed out. I mean, not only did the world feel so heavy, I know we were all dealing with something on a macro level, like people getting sick and there was just bad news everywhere you turned, but also on a micro level, on a personal level, like navigating a small business through those uncertain times was just super intense. And especially when you're doing it with your husband and, you know, there's no boundary there. And like the highlight of my evening was sharing a bottle of wine with Alex on our front porch. Like I literally found myself putting one foot in front of the other until I could get to that point. And it was like at that moment, I just was like, okay, I survived. Let I survived another day. Like, let's just relax, have a drink on the porch. And I think that that kind of like planted the seed for a habit. Um, but then it was like the summer, fall of 2020, and we decided to get pregnant. So when I did get pregnant in the fall of 2020, obviously that brought any drinking to a halt. But then motherhood hit. And I found myself once again, like craving that glass of wine or two at the end of the day. And I was just back in a place of feeling kind of alone. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I felt like I was losing myself. 
and all of the things. But sharing a glass of wine with Alex at the end of the day almost made me feel normal, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, But then like a glass of wine almost always meant two and it was just a slippery slope into three some nights. I'm not going to lie. So that kind of brings things to the current day. As a mom who can feel very dependent on her glass of wine or two at the end of the day. And I still go through cycles with it. Like I will get this effort mentality and alcohol has a pretty regular place in my life. Like most nights, like 90% of the time, I would say it's no more than two drinks. But then there's just that one time when I do over drink, if we're at like a party or on my birthday weekend or like over a holiday or just kind of like a random Saturday when I drink a bottle of wine over like four hours, um, like last Christmas, for example, I had really moderated my drinking for the entire fall, like no more than a glass of wine uh, or two on the nights that I did drink. But the holidays are hard for me. And I think that there is some subconscious switch that gets flipped. So Christmas Day, I drink a bottle of wine. And again, like it was over the course of like four or five hours. So surface level, I'm probably not the only one, right? But maybe that's just me justifying it. I don't know. Anyway, I woke up the next morning and I just felt so bad about myself. Like I was hungover, yes, and my skin was splotchy and my eyes were red and puffy and I just had so much anxiety. But like physical effects aside, I think the emotional side effects of a hangover are so much worse for me. And this is just a prime example of how someone's unique situation colors the lens through which they perceive something. Like I have friends that can drink a bottle of wine over the course of a holiday day and they can wake up and laugh it off and then they're out there drinking Bloody Marys the next morning, like no big deal. Or maybe they're like, ouch, like I probably shouldn't do that again. But for me, like it's a major shame spiral and I really beat myself up. So not only do I feel off physically, but there is that anxiety that goes hand in hand with it for me. So all of that being said, I think that is what I currently struggle with in this chapter of my life. Like I'm so damn grateful for being a mom and I love my child. And so I don't want to sound whiny or ungrateful, but I think in the evenings when I would normally be doing something creative or going to yoga or reading a book, you know, it's kind of crammed with making my son's dinner, making our dinner, doing dishes, cleaning the house, doing bath time, feeding the dog, making sure the dog doesn't eat Mason's food, making sure Mason doesn't jump off the couch and break his neck. And I think I just calm this anxiety with wine. And my husband also made a good point the other day when he said, like, he thought that I think of a glass of wine just feels romantic to me. And He's right, like not romantic in the traditional sense of the word, but giving it a sense of specialness to something mundane, if that makes sense. And the funny thing is, like in reality, I know that all of these things aren't true, especially with anxiety specifically. Alcohol actually exacerbates anxiety and I would be better off without it. But my brain and body have yet to reach that agreement. So here I am. And this begs the question, so like, what am I doing to work on this relationship if I've not yet made the decision to give it up entirely? So this past February was kind of a turning point for me. I honestly think I was experiencing some bad seasonal affective disorder and I got back into therapy and I got on medication at the time, which I'm not currently on anymore, but it just goes to show I'm a big believer in medication when needed. And I really do think that it helped me get over a hump. And I learned that if someone has alcoholic parents, or experiences trauma in childhood, 
This affects brain chemistry and increases rates of anxiety and depression. And I don't really know the science behind this exactly. So all that is all I'm going to say about it. But I think I was having a hard time finding joy in the small moments of life. Like it literally felt there was no dopamine in my brain. And understanding all of this from a very objective standpoint made me feel much more compassionate towards myself, which is huge. Additionally, it was around this time that I discovered the Reframe app. So everyone I ask about it mostly hasn't heard of it, but it has been a game changer for me. And it's an app that helps people like me who want to change or reframe their relationship with alcohol. And there are these daily readings and journal prompts, and then you can track your drinks in there as well. And it has been an amazing tool in my journey. And I always highly recommend it if someone is in a similar boat. And I won't get into the specific numbers or analytics here, but I'll just say that it has helped me not only increase my consciousness for drinking, but also decreases the amount that I drink. And the most profound part of joining this app is that it assures me that I'm definitely not alone in my relationship with alcohol and that so many others share my struggles. And like there's this forum characteristic where people can get advice, seek encouragement, share successes, et cetera. And seriously, that forum has to be one of the most non-judgmental and compassionate and encouraging places on the internet. Like it's amazing the type of support these people offer. And just for a disclaimer, y'all know I'm not an influencer. This is not like a sponsored post by any means. Reframe would have no idea who I am, but I just wanted to share that just in case anyone is interested. So with even these shifts, it hasn't been a straight line. Like this past spring and early summer, we were just more social with parties, events, concerts, and going to the pool. And I just found myself crossing that boundary into a drinking territory in which I wasn't very comfortable. And then I went to California with my friend, Laura Lee, and we talked about this because I texted her before that trip and I told her I didn't want to drink for a while. Like I just needed to take a break. And we actually did end up having one drink on the last day and it felt very balanced and in the moment and fun. But something that she said really stuck with me because her relationship with alcohol to me is very balanced and healthy. Like she is someone who can go without it or just have one or two and just stop. So I asked her candidly and she said she really never has more than two and that people forget that they can kind of like ride the effects of drink number one for a bit. And I think it is so habitual that as soon as you finish drink number one, you reach for drink number two. And my best friend one time even said this funny quote, like, you choose drink number one. Number one chooses drink number two. And I think that is so true. Um, but she is saying, like, yeah, have a drink and then just ride that out for a bit. Like, create a pause before going for drink number two and have a soda water or something. And I love that. So a few months ago, when it came to the Reframe app and tracking, I got to this place where I was like, what if because I am tracking and I'm putting so much energy and attention towards this area of my life is actually creating an effect that I don't want, that if I was to just let it go and not think about it so much, that would actually help me more than if I was to be reminded every day that this is an issue for me. So does that make sense? And I think that line of reasoning is valid for some things for sure, but I think it was also playing into the shame card for me that I feel around this whole thing that I don't want to be someone who has to track and think about it every day. So I did take a break from tracking, but my behavior didn't change much. So I'm back on that app now, which I'll explain a little bit more in a bit. 
And I'll say like doing this podcast episode has actually been very therapeutic for me, actually, like reflecting over my story helps create understanding and compassion. And I'm at a place where I'm like, of course, this is an issue for me. Like, how could it not be? Like alcohol has kind of been this thorn in my side for so long. And I know all I have to do is take it out. (laughs) And additionally, I recently read Dr. Benjamin Hardy's book, Be Your Future Self Now. And I had so many aha moments while reading this book that really helped to shift my perspective. And I say this now, but I really don't think I would ever be someone who would hit a rock bottom. I would like to think that I have more self-awareness than that. And I have a brother who's been through the ringer with drugs and alcohol. So I know exactly what rock bottom looks like. And if I ever felt like I was going in that direction, like it would be a pretty easy decision for me to just stop. But rock bottoms aside, if I think of myself one year, five year, 10 years down the road and the type of life and business that I want to build for myself, like alcohol really can't have a regular place at the table. You know, it just... It just makes me more tired and it makes me less motivated, to be honest. And bottom line is that alcohol just doesn't serve my highest vision of self to get a little cheesy and woo-woo. Um, you know, and even as I say all these things out loud, like I feel like I sound like a walking example of Einstein's famous quote of the definition of insanity is do the same thing over and over and expect different results. And it's kind of like this, an abusive relationship where we're per, one person stays with their abuser and everyone on the outside looking in is like, why don't they just leave? <laughs> and even saying this now, it's like, it's just a liquid, like it shouldn't have this power over anyone. And, you know, I'm not minimizing it. Like I do think it's a highly addictive substance. So you have to give it that. Um, and so many people in my position could easily say, no, I am just not going to drink anymore and have that be at that. And I'm not saying that I won't get there one day. I might. I follow a lot of sober mom accounts on Instagram and they make not drinking look and sound amazing. (laughs) But if I'm being honest, like I just can't imagine never sharing a bottle of wine with my husband at dinner or sipping a glass of champagne on my birthday or drinking a beer at a football game, getting cocktails with my girlfriends or cozying up with a glass of red wine by a fire. And I know I'm romanticizing it and I know that it is an alcohol making these experiences, but for some reason... That's just how I feel. So I've gotten to this place where I want to see the full potential of my mindset. So my mindset up until now has been stuck in a certain identity, right? Like the identity of a girl with a bad relationship with alcohol. And it's kind of like a victimhood mentality, if you will. Like I have guilt and shame around alcohol, which makes me more anxious in social situations. So I drink to calm the anxiety and I'm just not doing myself any favors. And I had this realization the other day that if I really want things to change, A, I could just stop, but B, I could just change my mind and the way that I think. Moderation and or abstinence has to become a part of my identity. The past is just the past. It is to be used as information to inform choices in the present, which we as humans have complete control over. So for example, and this is something my husband and I talk a lot about, I have this belief that I don't have as much fun out in social situations without alcohol. This belief was formed because I thought the thought, I don't have as much fun without alcohol over and over. And when I say it, it feels very true for me. Um, It feels as if I have evidence from past situations to even back that up. But I could also make the opposite true if I really wanted to. I could choose the thought I can have as much fun 
without alcohol. And the more that I would think that thought, the more that it would become a belief and I create my own reality. Therefore, in order to change my relationship with alcohol, I have to think the thoughts of someone with a healthy healthy relationship with alcohol. And again, I don't know if this sounds like I am just glossing over anything or romanticizing it or just minimizing my issue, but this is again, just where I am and I'm being honest. So what are the characteristics of a healthy relationship? Like I actually Googled this and I wrote it down. So granted the search results were for talking about romantic relationships, but whatever to be in relation to something can be applied to anything. So those characteristics that jumped out at me are feeling safe and secure, trust, respect, honesty, kindness, forgiveness. None of these words I would use to characterize my relationship with alcohol up until this point. So that's why I was like, okay, maybe I just need to change the script. Like safety and security. I feel safe and secure when I moderate my drinking. That always means zero to two drinks. I know that's my number. That sets a measurable goal. Trust needs to translate into self-trust. That is built over time. The more I practice moderation, the more trust I will have. Respect. I must respect my own boundaries. Honesty. I will be honest and say I haven't been very honest with myself over the course of these years. A lot of denial, justifying, normalizing. So like, can you be in denial if you know you've been in denial? I don't think so. Um, I need to start being honest with myself though. End of story. Kindness. The most kind thing I can do for myself is probably not drink, but I can practice being kind to myself in each individual circumstance in order to make the best decision in that moment. Forgiveness is probably the most important one. Forgiving myself behavior and choices in the past. So letting go of the feelings of guilt and shame to be more conducive to making better decisions anyway. And I also have to accept, like I have to accept that for right now, I am someone who needs to do a little extra work around this area of my life. Like I can't compare myself to others and what they're doing or not doing. And that for me right now means tracking and increasing consciousness and awareness. And I also have to remind myself that I am not alone in how I feel. And if this is resonating with you, you are not alone in how you feel. And if it isn't alcohol, which is kind of my thing, then it is something else. Like it's some other substance, food, shopping, gambling. Like we all have something, I think. Um, I did recently discover another app similar to Reframe called Sunnyside that I really like too. And after signing up, I got an email from the founder that just made me feel better about myself and sums up quite nicely where I am and where I want to be. So I thought I would read it. So he says, up until now, it seems the only options for managing alcohol have been to quit drinking entirely or do nothing. I started Sunnyside because I believe there's another way to build healthier habits around drinking. For us, it's about small changes, not all or nothing. Sunnyside is built for the millions of us, myself included, who enjoy drinking yet are also interested in being more intentional about the role alcohol plays in our lives. At Sunnyside, we think about keeping tabs on our alcohol consumption in the same way we've learned to track diet, exercise, and even mindfulness. Hitting a new wellness or exercise goal is something we celebrate. It's time we think about drinking goals the same way. Mindful drinking is a proactive investment in ourselves and our well-being. It's something to be proud of. I couldn't be happier to have you on board with us, no matter where you're starting from on this journey. We'll meet you where you are, et cetera, et cetera. So for those of us who want to improve our relationship without giving it up entirely are out there. And I know there are so many people who need to abstain and be sober. 
I have friends and family who fit into this camp and sobriety is an amazing, beautiful thing. And there's also this whole genre of books written on the matter called Quitlet, which I kind of discovered this past year and I've dabbled in. Quit Like a Woman and Sober Diaries are two that I've read that are great. Those books and the sober Instagram accounts that I follow, I especially love the Sober Mom Life podcast. They're all motivating to try and cut back. Um, Like this past weekend, for example, was my first weekend back on the apps. And I had no more than two drinks on any given night. And I woke up on Sunday. I felt great and proud of myself. I got to partake. I practiced moderation. I still got a good night's sleep. My mood was intact. Like, I mean, I probably wasn't 100%, but this was the middle way for me. And I celebrated that. So before I end this episode, I did want to share what is in my toolkit when I do drink. It kind of feels weird sharing this now with everything that I've just said, but I'm just being real. And I know that there are people out there who would like to know some tips and tricks for avoiding hangovers. If you have one of those nights, we all have. And what I've also learned um, by kind of like looking into this whole realm is that on the flip side of the sober curious community, there are also those people out there like waving their wine flag. Like I'm never giving it up. Why even question it? So this list is for you. <laughs> and being smack dab in the middle of the holidays, it's also kind of timely. Um, so here are some things that have been very helpful for me. And I will put this stuff in the show notes as well. So IV hydration therapy. I wanted to start with kind of like the big one. A couple of months after Mason was born, some of my best friends and I went to Charlottesville and there was wine tasting and there was dinner and let's just say a lot of drinks. And it was my first time out on the town since getting pregnant. And I guess really before COVID now that I think about it. Um, And I overdid it. So a couple of my friends the next day were adamant about getting an IV drip back in Richmond the next day. And I hadn't really ever heard of the place that they were going to, and I didn't go with them, but I took note of it and I ended up going the next month. And when I went, I wasn't hungover at all. Actually, I hadn't even had anything to drink the night before, but IV hydration therapy is so great for so many other reasons than related to alcohol. So I actually get one once a month when I can, um, whether I'm drinking or not, and it makes me feel amazing. Highly recommend. And the, another one is the anytime you drink vitamin and the brand is H proof. So I first discovered this when we were in Austin, Texas last year, and there was this natural foods market near our Airbnb. And I noticed these chewable tablets by the cash register and the owner of the natural food store spoke very highly of them and how much they help. And Austin has this really big bachelor bachelorette party scene. So I can see why they were kind of sitting there front and center But when I read the ingredients and what was in them, it was everything that I would get in my IV drip. So I was kind of like, sign me up. Um, The founder is a board certified surgeon and the formula is supported by peer reviewed science. So it's pretty legit. Um, You are to take two before bed at night on a night that you've been drinking and then two the next morning if needed. So call it the placebo effect, whatever. There's like legit vitamins and minerals in here. And um, I think it helps me. So if I do have a couple of drinks, aside from the chewable tablets, drinking water with an electrolyte element packet and taking my magnesium before bed is a non-negotiable for me. Another good supplement type thing is the Energy Bits Chlorella tablet. Um, And this product is actually called their Recovery Bits. And I once interviewed the Energy Bits founder for the podcast 
And we talked about how taking the chlorella tablets before drinking alcohol may actually help. And this is because chlorella is known for its amazing detoxification ability. And from their website, um, I found this um, information and it said a study performed with six human subjects found that consuming chlorella before drinking alcohol reduced ethanol in the blood and breath along with reducing acetyl. Oh my gosh, I'm going to botch this word. Acetaldehyde, which is a contributing cause of hangovers in the blood. So recovery bits. Dry farms or ovaline wine. And I did the dry farm subscription service for a while, mostly through the pandemic, but honestly, I don't love the taste of their wines. This summer, I did discover Aveline wine, which is Cameron Diaz's brand of wine. And you guys, this is like the only wine that I can drink now and not feel bad the next day. And I actually love the taste. Like their red, white, and rosé are all amazing. It's all organic and sugar-free. And they even list the ingredients on the back of the bottle, which never happens. And I know for me, like if I have a glass or two of another type of wine, like I feel the effects the next day like, and it affects my sleep um, and I just feel foggy and I have a headache. But alcohol aside, this can largely be due to the other stuff that they put in wine. And I don't know enough here to talk about it. Cameron Diaz has done a bunch of podcasts explaining more about this. And you can also read more on the Aveline website. Um, that's A-V-A-L-I-N-E. And I'll put that in the show notes. But since finding this wine, I feel so much better when I do drink it. So another little uh, tip or trick is eating a blood sugar balancing snack before drinking. I wore a continuous glucose monitor for a while. And interestingly enough, if I have a glass of wine or like a tequila cocktail, my blood sugar actually goes down. And with a beer, this is not the case. It spikes. So it goes up first and then it crashes. But I don't drink beer as much. Um and this is why I have to really make sure my blood sugar isn't too low before I have a drink because it will just go lower. And this is not good. It would just kind of have me reaching for food that doesn't serve me and that wouldn't do me any favors. So if I'm going to have a cocktail or two, I always have something blood sugar balancing with healthy fat, fiber, and protein. And most likely this is one of my gratified bars or a small ramekin of granola clusters. This is not a plug. That's just what I do. Um, and do y'all remember that myth to like eat bread or some other type of carb in order to soak up the alcohol? Yeah, don't do that. It will only make things worse. So focus primarily on protein and healthy fat. Another little tip in my tool kit is um, Ora Bora soda water, um, kombucha, mocktails, and alcohol-free wine. And I'm actually not a big soda water drinker. It kind of hurts my stomach. But this year I discovered the brand Ora Bora and I love it. The flavors are kind of funky and they kind of taste like a cocktail and I've used it for mixers with tequila actually. And whenever I have one of those drinks, I actually can't really tell that much of a difference whether tequila is in it or not. So if I have like a glass of wine or two, or even if I have a tequila cocktail, I will just drink an Ora Bora instead of another drink. Kombucha is also a great option. I'm also looking into mocktails and alcohol-free wine. And there's just that whole world out there. Like, I really think we are in a reduced alcohol movement right now. And a lot of the people in like the sober community say like in 50 years, we're going to look back and we can't even believe we're putting this in our body and it's become the new smoking. I don't know if that's true, but there are more people that are sober curious and they're cutting back or they're eliminating it entirely and they're drinking mocktails instead. Like the market for these drinks is just at the beginning in my mind. The Irish goodbye. 
like I pretty much have this one down and I don't feel sorry about leaving a social situation without making a fuss about it. And when it feels time to leave, just leave. Unless of course it's like a more intimate situation and you might feel like you need to tell people you're leaving or thank the host or whatnot. But the same can be said that you don't need to feel guilty about leaving or put pressure on yourself for stay to stay if you don't want to. Along the same lines, go to bed at a reasonable time. Like even if I go out, I want to be in bed by 10 or 1030 at the latest. And even those evenings are rare, like 930 would be ideal, but that's not always possible. Um, in my 20s, you know, there was that quote, nothing good happens after midnight, but it, I'm 38. And in my mind, that changes to 10 p.m. if I'm being honest. So I still try and prioritize a good night's sleep. The last thing would be nutrient-dense foods and exercise the next day. Nutrition and exercise are two things that I highly value, even the day after having some cocktails. Exercise, not as much as nutrition, actually. These two things used to be flipped for me, especially in my 20s. But I, you know, I do try and move in some way, shape or form, whether that's a walk with my family or just getting my steps in around the house. But eating nutrient dense foods is non-negotiable. You know, alcohol depletes essential minerals and vitamins in the body. So I try and replenish with smoothies, salad soups or other types of like blood sugar balancing nutrient dense bowls the next day. So that is actually where I am going to leave things for this episode. Um, thank you so much for listening probably the most vulnerable I've ever been, like I said, and I feel like I just stood on a stage naked, but Hey, like I said, if this episode resonated or helped just one person, it makes it all worth it. Feel free to message me any feedback much appreciated. I'm on Instagram at healthified. Um, I'd love to hear from you. All right. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening to the healthified podcast and hope you enjoyed this episode. If it resonated with you, please share it with a friend or rate and review the podcast, which helps us share the health with more people for further learning. Be sure to check out the linked resources in the show notes, and you can connect with us on Instagram at healthified and at gratified until next time.